Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a conversation between filmmakers Errol Morris and Frederick Weissman on Morris's new documentary, My Psychedelic Love Story. Told through the lens of Joanna Harcourt Smith, Timothy Leary's lover, the film examines the possible CIA conspiracy and fascinating love story as Leary, the high priest of LSD, seemingly sells out and becomes a narc in 1974. Through a series of candid interviews, Morris and Harcourt Smith re-examine this chaotic period, resulting in a singular snapshot of the early 1970s cultural landscape and its profound impact on the trajectory of one woman's life. My Psychedelic Love Story is now available virtually, courtesy of Showtime. Let's go to the talk. I'm glad to be here and have an opportunity to discuss uh, Errol's new film, uh, which uh, uh, I think is uh, a great film. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Errol's. Uh, the first film of his I saw was Gates of Heaven many years ago. Uh, and uh, it's still, I think, uh, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And uh, The Fog of War is, uh, is also one of the best movies I've ever seen. So it's a pleasure to be with you here, Errol, to discuss a psychedelic love story. What aspect of it would you like to talk about? Well, I'm not sure. I wanted to talk about your films, not mine. Uh, well, let, let's talk about yours. Uh, that's the point of the evening. Uh, but, uh, I mean, uh, as a brief introduction with Psychedelic Love Story, I knew Timothy Leary um, because I, I, uh, I spent a year as a grad student and I took uh, one of his courses. Uh, it was, gave me access to the Concord Prison. And Timothy Leary was one of the great all-time phonies. Uh, he was, he was a, a- That's a competitive, that's a competitive category. Well, it's a very competitive category and I've met a lot of them. Uh, uh, and I, I say that with uh, absolutely uh, no hesitation. One of his little tricks, for example, uh, was he pretended to be deaf. And so he wouldn't talk directly to the person he was with, but he would turn so that the person had to talk to his ear. Uh, and he did that as a contemptuous way of discovering. He was doing scientific research. It was his way of discovering um, uh, how the person who, who was the victim of that little ploy would respond. And one of my favorite lines in the movie uh, is uh, when Timothy Leary is being led to, pr uh, to prison and he asks people to think of him the way they think of Andrei Sokolov. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, uh, if there's a visual uh, definition somewhere of pretension, that should be in. Um, so uh, what, what I... It's what interesting I, in a clip in the movie uh, when he's being taken away by the FBI and the California authorities, he references Andrei Sakharov. Right should always think of Andrei Sakharov when you think of me, uh, is uh, the idea that Leary conveys. Well, no, it, it's, a, it's a brilliant capsule way of giving a sense of his character. Um, uh, but I, I, uh, uh, the, the portrait of Johanna, I, I think, is brilliant. Um, but what, the only thing that worries me a little bit about it is that um, 
at some point or other, you insisted that I'm the uh, king of misanthropic filmmaking. Uh, but I think, you know, that's the equivalent of uh, Louis XIV uh, resigning his throne. Uh, because I, I really uh, uh, think that uh, I, I have no wish to compete with you uh, in that department. And I think the portrait of Johanna is a wonderful example of that. Well, that's very kind. Thank you. Uh, um, no, I don't want to revisit this argument, uh, although uh, I still remain convinced that you, not I, are the king of misanthropic cinema. But thank you. Well, no. thank you for I, thinking. I don't, I, I don't even want to share the title with you. Uh, I um. What? Uh, tell me why you got interested in the in the making a movie about Joanna. Uh, she got interested in me and my son. She was a fan of my son's series, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. And she was a fan of Wormwood. And she felt that both of us were equipped to tell her story. She had gotten offers from, I don't know, X, Y, and Z, but she wanted us to do it. Hamilton was involved in making the third season of his series. So it fell on me, happily so. Uh, to make this movie. Uh, and originally, we thought this was going to be a hybrid deal like Wormwood. Um, I filmed Joanna at the end of last year, uh, December of last year, 2020. Remind me, 2020 was not a good year, correct? Oh, we're still in the middle of it, not in the middle of it, but we're at the tail end of it. It was the most miserable year ever. Um, and it became clear early in 2020 that we were never going to be able to do anything. We'd be lucky if we were able to shoot a drama in 2021 or 2022 uh, or in the great hereafter. Uh, so, I was asked, could you turn this into a straight documentary? And the answer was, yeah, I'd rather do something than nothing. And we ended up with one interview, just the interview we did in December of last year. And we were able to turn it into a movie. I'm not exactly sure how, but yes. Well, it's a spectacular use of archival and found footage. Uh, uh, and, and put together in a way, I think, that really illuminates the subject and works. It's my editor, Stephen Hathaway, um, my researcher, Molly Wokosh, um, and my graphic designer, Jeremy Landman. They did an extraordinary job with this movie. Um, but I really came to love Joanna. Maybe this is part of sitting in front of a screen and watching someone so many times, but she really is an extraordinary character. And what I like most, 
Sorry. Sorry, why did you love her? Well, I interrupted you, you were about to explain. Um, I loved her because she was in her own crazy way so open about her past and also open about her inability to even understand herself. I like the idea of making a movie about somebody who's involved in an investigation about who she is. Uh, Did you think she got very far? Who knows? Um, but you said you liked it. Uh, you liked the idea of somebody getting involved in an investigation of who she is. So I just wondered uh, well, where, she, where she ended up in your view. Well, at the very end of it, and this is so much on my mind at the moment, she had asked me to remove a passage from the film. And she was dying. She died just a couple of months ago. And I would have removed it anyway, but you honor dying wishes, or at least that's how I imagine it. So I removed this passage about this fabulously wealthy financier who was either her great grandfather or great great grandfather um, and she had made this allegation that he had stolen money from his fellow Jews profited enormously and sent them to their death in the Nazi chambers. That's some allegation. Yes. And I find myself in the aftermath of having made this movie even more interested in Joanna than I was in the beginning. I never thought, I suppose it's a sales tool that this was a movie about Timothy Leary or even about her relationship with Timothy Leary, although clearly that's part of it. Um, it's a movie about betrayal, um, her real and imagined betrayals by others. Uh, and that does interest me, still does interest me. Um, if you're telling a first person story, I, I have this argument. Um, if you're interested in telling something about the real world, uh, film a lot of people. If I were you, it could even be thousands of people. Um, by the way, I can't help myself, but in your most recent film, I kept thinking of Fred Wiseman as entomologist. Uh, that we're like some infernal insect colony <laughs> um, going through some pre-programmed ritual that none of us really understand, but we go through it anyway. Uh, there's something 
quite extraordinary about that. But if you want to understand one person, don't interview more than one person. I know it's a stupid theory, but I like it anyway. Just interview one person and see what happens. Um, I used that technique with Robert S. McNamara. I wasn't so much interested in what other people thought about McNamara. Um, I came to love him too. I still see him as a war criminal, but you know, I have different kinds of friends. It's nice to have a war criminal. <laughs> Yes, but the, one of the many great things about that film is that McNamara showed remorse. No, he didn't. I don't want to get into an Oh, I'll get into an argument about this. I've had so much trouble over that. Horrible trouble. Um, people looked at my uh, Rumsfeld film and said, you know, we didn't like the film because he doesn't show remorse. Is that should be your... Oh, that, that, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But that, I know that's, that's not what you're saying, and I'm sorry even to, by suggestion, saddle you with such a nefarious view. But, um, first of all, I don't, I don't believe in redemption. I mean, Jews, properly speaking, should not believe in redemption. We're not Christians, presumably. I think you do bad things. It's a stain that remains with you for eternity. Well, Rumsfeld uh, showing remorse didn't remove the stain. What it showed, well, he, didn't show, he didn't show any remorse. All he, all he showed was extreme self-satisfaction and delight with himself. He was I didn't a, feel the way that. a pre-Trumpian Trump. And um, I think that allowing Joanna to tell her story alone becomes really powerful. Uh, and she starts the story off. It's a really legitimate question. Am I a free agent or am I a tool? And it could be various kinds of tools, a tool of history, a tool of the CIA, of the FBI, a tool of the government. Uh, who am I? And do I have any kind of free agency? Uh, and it's a question that she keeps coming back to again and again and again and again. That interested me. Did you think uh, she supplied much evidence for being a tool uh, in any of those, uh, in any of the four or five uh, uh, possibilities that you listed? Uh, she, raised, she raised the question, but did, did she provide, did you feel that the evidence she, should pro she provided was sufficient to make you feel that she was right in feeling a tool? Um. Well, there's so many betrayals. There's the betrayal of her family by this financier, Arpad Plesh. Uh, that's a whole other set of issues. Um, there is the role that she played 
in Timothy Leary's return from Afghanistan uh, to the United States and his arrest and the role that she played trying to get him out of prison uh, after he was imprisoned, after he was incarcerated. Um, I tried, I always think, well, did I try hard enough? I tried to figure out whether she was being used by the CIA. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that the whole apparatus of the federal government was arrayed against Timothy Leary. Um, Nixon, you know, and his cohorts were armed for bear. They declared themselves enemies of the so-called drug culture. Um, and Timothy Leary was, you know, a most wanted man in America, perhaps the most wanted man in America. So, yeah, there's ample evidence to show that, that there was all of these forces arrayed around her. We contacted both the FBI and the CIA to get additional information. It's that great line, not that one should be satisfied with this sort of thing, but the great line, we can neither confirm nor deny that we have any information uh, related to Timothy Leary and uh, Joanna Harker Smith. There you go. Am I giving you the kind of answer you want? I feel that, that you are unhappy or dissatisfied with something here. Well, I, I think your vaunted intuition is right. Uh, uh, because uh, I was looking for evidence in, in the film to support her view. And I heard assertions of that point of view, but I didn't, and maybe I missed it, which is quite likely, but I didn't see evidence. I know if you don't get the CIA or the FBI files, it's, it's uh, hard to have uh, uh, the evidence, but I didn't, I felt that it was all, I was interested in her speculating about it as an, as an illustration of her character. But I, I didn't find her uh, a particularly appealing person because she also was, she not only was betrayed, uh, uh, betrayed, she was also constantly betraying. That's correct. Yep. And we have instances of her betrayals in the film. Yes, yes, absolutely, you do. Uh, but the, uh, uh, I, you know, I understand the absence of specific evidence, but what interested me was her coy suggestion uh, of being manipulated, but without her offering any uh, evidence as to how that took place. 
sounds like that is a, a symptom of uh, a problem of her character. And, and maybe I, I guess I misinterpreted it because I thought in a sense, without the evidence that that's what you were, one of the things that you were exploring. Yeah, it sounds like the 2020 election. Um, there's this idea, and I, I think it comes from me, at least in part, that documentary should be primarily concerned with truth or the establishment of truth or arguing for something being true. Um, I found myself, as I get older and probably more senescent, <laughs> what's so funny? Um, the, the idea of your being senescent is funny. You know, Bertrand Russell, when he was in his 90s, was asked by an interviewer whether it was true that he was becoming senile. <laughs> <laughs> and Russell said, well, if I'm senile, I guess I would be the last to know. <laughs> well, good for uh, yeah. Great response. Yes. Um, I, I find myself increasingly interested in the elision of truth, the avoidance of truth. Yeah. Um, Wormwood is as much an essay on the elision of truth as it is on truth itself. Here, it is really an excursion into how Joanna sees the world. Mm -hmm. It is inveterately first person. And it's about being lost. Mm -hmm. Being lost in the world, lost inside of yourself. Um, in many ways, maybe it expresses how I feel about myself. I don't know. It's about being just abandoned and lost in the world and trying desperately to figure it out and failing. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant description of the film. And uh, if that's what it is, I can live with that. In fact, I kind of like it. Yeah, well, so do I. <laughs> well, thank you. I... Uh, I've started to wonder why I'm even making documentaries anymore. I've, uh, I've labored making these carefully constructed things, whatever they are. And I find myself increasingly drawn to observational documentaries, even though I've never really done them. And I'm not sure I could, even if I wanted to. Um, and I, I take the chief practitioner and the greatest artist of such a form to be yourself. Well, thank you. I, um, I was for the very first time, I couldn't sleep last night. I was watching TikTok for two or three hours. I couldn't stop. Um, uh, the more empty they became, the more I loved them. And I started to think it's just like Fred Wiseman, except much shorter. <laughs> well, never having watched, watched TikTok, 
I, I'll have I, I'll have to reserve decision on how to take that. I um, less context, and it, it reminded me. I, I, I should tell the story. Um, I had watched Near Death in its entirety, and I told Fred how much I loved it, which is absolutely true. I, uh, I did love it and I still love it, even though I haven't seen it in a while. Um, but I told him it would have been much better if it had been longer. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> well, I, un I understood how that. Long, how about. long is near death, Fred? Yeah, only six hours. Only six hours. It could have been longer. And um, it, it, it makes me think about length and what length means in a movie and context. Uh, when I think about your films, which I think about very, very, very often, and I might add lovingly, um, there are moments in them, there are observational moments that stick out as being much better than anything I could ever, ever put on film. I'm serious. And, and yet it is that broad context which brings them alive in a way that I am not sure I can even define. Uh, they need to be part of some grand extended piece of architecture. So, um, I'm not even sure I like what I do anymore. Well. And, and maybe it's, it's the feeling that, that if you do documentary, you should find different ways of doing it. And I, I, need, I need to find a different way of doing it. And maybe I'll try something along the lines of what you do. I'm sure I'll fail miserably. I doubt that. But, have you seen the series on HBO? I'm sure you haven't, because you would never watch that stuff, John Wilson. No, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, it's observational with a strange voiceover. And See, I don't even know what, I, I don't like the term observational cinema. Uh, what would you like? I, well, movies. I think I make movies. You make movies. Well, what kind of movies? Uh, movies uh, uh, based on unstaged events. Fiction movies based on unstaged events. It's a good description and not, and not inaccurate. Um, I'll go with that. Uh, and observational, uh, the, the, I mean, I don't like any of these categories. Observational cinema, fly on the wall, uh, cinema verite. I mean, observational cinema suggests that the filmmaker just sets up a camera in a corner and lets life pass in front of the camera. And uh, it, the, the movies that I make, the movies you make, uh, any, doc, any movie is made up of hundreds of thousands of choices. And, yeah. and, and so for the same reason, fly on the wall is no good because most of the flies I know aren't conscious. Uh, also, you don't have wings and you don't have compound eyes. 
Right. Well, there, there you are. Uh, I, I was just thinking of consciousness, but you, you've added to the list. Uh, uh, and cinema verite is, you know, as I say, often said, is just a pompous French term. Uh, and the notion that any movie could be the truth is funny. Uh, it's, it's so ridiculous. Yep. So that's why I fall back on the uh, all-purpose word movie. Uh, you know, it serves the purpose. Well, I mean, if you have to have a word that describes what you do, uh, make movies. And indeed you do. Um, but uh, I... Uh, no, I, in, in your discussion and your, your beginning to have doubts about what you're doing, uh, I think you're leaving out something that I, 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 we haven't discussed it, but I'm sure it's true of you. That, uh, and it's not just my projecting my own interests. Making these movies is fun. Uh, it's interesting. It's intellectually demanding. Uh, and I'm frequently emotionally demanding. Uh, and... Uh, and that's and the uh, the complete absorption in a subject matter over a long period of time is the best way I found to pass the time. Can I tell you the best definition of fun I've ever heard? Yeah, it was the first interview I ever did a thousand years ago. I was interviewing a police secretary in South San Francisco who um, was also a member of the American Nazi Party. Mm. And I asked her at one point, I know that you're really involved with your work as a police secretary and your work with the American Nazi Party. <laughs> um, but what do you do for fun? <laughs> Great question, right. Did and she answer? She said, everything connected with the Nazi party is fun. Uh, well, there's, a, uh, there's somebody who enjoys their work. Indeed. So, yeah, my wife refers to my office as a daycare center for myself. <laughs> and, well, yeah, Julie has a great sense of humor. She does indeed, and she's absolutely right. It, it gives me, it gives me something to do. Um, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, a craft, probably better than macrame or, or potholder weaving, and. Um, well, well, so you basically you're agreeing with me. I am. I, I, I dread it, but I kind of love it at the same time. Yeah. Well, because it's interesting and it, and it does pass the time and it's absorbing and, the, and, and it has a result that pleases you. Yes. So can't knock that. Oh, yeah, you can, but that's, that's well, a different thing. Yeah, yeah, you certainly, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you would agree that it's pointless to knock it. Uh, um, so um, I think you yourself gave me 
years and years and years ago. I've known Fred for 40 years, maybe longer. And I don't know how many Fred Wiseman films I've seen, but it's a hefty number. Not all of them, to be sure, but a lot of them. And I always remind myself that Fred really loves the theater of the absurd. And he's created some of the great absurdist works of art of, of least my time here on this planet. Um, absurd in ways that uh, are really unimaginable. It's part of his great art. Um, and I can still think about scenes. I don't know how they happened in front of his camera, but they happened in front of his camera. And it probably would not have happened without him. It's that ironic presence that sucks things out of the world. <laughs> what? Oh, I wish I, I'm jealous. I wish I had your literary gifts. Oh, don't be silly. You do. And um, yeah, I, uh, you live, I live for, it's almost like moments. Um, for me, it's often lines that people say that are just unimaginable, but they've said them anyway, and I've recorded them. Uh, Joanna has, an, I believe, a great gift of language. Uh, and this strange, crazy enthusiasm. I love it when she says, I always wanted to be with an outlaw. And she means it. Yeah. She's not just posturing or creating um, uh, she is creating a performance, but it's a performance also for herself, about herself. Yeah, I think that's a very good description. But uh, to what extent do you think she was, con it was conscious of what she was doing? I don't know. It's one of the great mysteries about other people. Um, Oh, I, I think I, uh, it's not a mystery for me about you. You're conscious of what you're doing. Maybe yes and no. I try to be. Um, but I don't know myself. Well, you're conscious of what you're doing in your movies. I mean, I, I, I can't speak outside of that uh, because I just don't know. Uh, but it's probably true outside of it as well. But certainly in the movies, you know exactly what you're doing. Uh, you, you, and you know the consequences of the choices you're making. Uh, because otherwise you, couldn't be, you wouldn't be making the movies you make. Well, if it's true, I'll go along with it. It sounds nice. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it has the charm of being true. Oh, that. Um, yeah, I, uh, 
I find people so strange and so problematic. And I, I got into such trouble making this movie about Steve Bannon. Um, and it was almost as if people writing about it had never seen a single movie that I had ever made, which they probably hadn't. Um, but Bannon interested me. Well, with good reason. Um, I mean, always have been, look, I'm a nice Jewish boy, or maybe a not so nice Jewish boy from Long Island. I've always been fascinated by the Nazis. And how did such a thing happen? Who are these people? And to find out that you don't have to look back to the 1940s in Germany, but you can just turn on your television set and be treated to a similar spectacle is really, really interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I liked it, as you know. I liked the Bannon movie, and I think that's certainly what you're just describing came across in the Bannon movie. Well, thank God. Um, I mean, I what, the expression is he hung himself. I'm not as confident as you are. And I don't mean this as a condemnation. Actually, I, I, I mean it as a compliment. Um, I do feel about you that you, you are in control of what you're doing. Um, God knows I depend on other people in a way that you don't. Um, you edit all of your own stuff. It's, it's your cuts, your, your idea of one shot following another, following another following another until you reach the end. And it's a kind of authorship, sorry to use a French word, um, that in your case really truly does apply. And I uh, don't know of many other examples of it, at least at our current time. So I struggle, I struggle with with filmmaking, what it's about, what I'm doing. I mean, I was thrilled at one time that I could make a movie like The Thin Blue Line, and even more thrilled, although I should write about it, that I was able to investigate a murder um, and show that there was a miscarriage of justice. I was, I was thrilled. And those kinds of opportunities don't happen every day. Uh, if you can penetrate into the world, into reality, and come to a deeper understanding of what's out there, that does seem to be a worthy enterprise. That does seem to be a goal. Um, well, I mean, it, it's the effort. I mean, I don't think we have to make a judgment about whether we have succeeded or not. But for me, it's the effort. Uh, it's the process uh, uh, that means the most. Uh, and obviously, I like it when people respond to the films but, uh, and like them. Uh, but my kick, so to speak, comes from the work. Well, 
it's quite a collection of work. And uh, sorry to make this about you, my apologies, but it's uh, something that's really influenced me in so many ways. Um, when I first met you years ago, you said, how could you possibly like my work? It has wobbly scope all through it. <laughs> um, the reference to handheld camera. I have noticed that in recent years, there's much, much, much more tripod driven stuff than there was early on. And do I like that? Well, yeah, I kind of do like it. And do I like all of the tripod interstitial elements? Yeah, I do like them. Um, and I've watched your work evolve over the years in interesting ways. Um, who knows what filmmaking is about? It's our attempt to grab a hold of the world in some way and understand what our place in it might be. But we all know that's going to be a failure. Well, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it is, it's us having a go at figuring that out. Whether successfully or not is not the point. It's the effort. Uh. Well, there's that, there's that stupid Montagna line that I've always detested. It's the journey, not the arrival that matters. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was trying to avoid it in that uh, <laughs> cliche terms. You want to uh, hear my version of it? Uh, sorry? Yeah. My version of it is neither the journey nor the arrival matters. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good version of it, but I don't necessarily agree with that because uh, if I wasn't involved in the work, uh, I'd be even unhappier than I am. Here's a question for you. I think of some of my favorite scenes in Wiseman films, and you probably even know the ones that I love. I think I recently was interviewed uh, about you for a New York Times article. And I talked about how much I liked um, the bowl of candy uh, in your recent film. And they come out of nowhere. And yet I look at them with just, I would say kind of almost a feeling of rapture. <laughs> um, so here's here's my question do you finally see these in the editing room or do you see them as they're being shot i'm sure there's no rule of thumb but no and the answer is both yes uh i mean and and sometimes uh the big problem is to stop, not to laugh. Uh, uh, and, you know, several times I've almost been rushed to the emergency ward needing sutures in my tongue because I bit through it so hard. Uh, uh, but, uh, but it's also, it's a combination of luck and good judgment. And being able to wait things out I uh, 
someone asked me why I liked interviewing so much once. And I said that I talk so much, it gives me an opportunity to shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's a brilliant answer. Uh, true. I'm sick of hearing myself talk. It's time to listen to someone else for change. And of course, we never hear your voice at all. Not any of these movies. No, but you know my point of view because I'm, I'm there in the choices that, that have been made. Indeed. And uh, so could you enlighten me? Can you give me an example of where you had to bite into your tongue, quote unquote, because something you were watching was so hysterically funny? Well, there's a scene in the movie I made about an Anglican Benedictine monastery uh, where one of the uh, senior brethren, as they're called, one of the senior monks, is talking about his dislike of the other brethren. And as he's talking, uh, a fly comes into frame and starts buzzing around. And just as he's talking about why he dislikes having people call him by his first name, he swats the fly. Uh, and so the, the fly swatting is a perfect expression of his attitude toward other people. And I must say, you know, I, I, my arm went under my armpit, uh, uh, but it, because the timing was absolutely perfect. And it, 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 it's still, I think, the single funniest scene in any of my movies. Uh, I could easily single that out as one of my very, very favorite moments in all of Fred Wiseman. That and the all-female team of castrators. <laughs> well, I was just lucky when I castrated that wolf. Indeed you were. The all-female team of castrators and the male janitor, the only male in the room, standing by an exit door with his hands folded over his crotch. Right. Well, he, uh, he had to be present. He was just protecting himself. Uh, none of the absurdist writers, I feel, have come close to some of the things that you actually have recorded and put in your film. So to you... I don't have a hat, but hats off. Well, thank you, Earl. Uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm wondering, is there anything else you'd like to say about uh, Psychedelic Love Story? Because it, I think it's approaching the time where we have to answer questions. Um, I always like that, do you have a last question? It's almost like I'm, uh, I'm being strapped into an electric chair and solicited for my last words before they turn on the current. Well, I, I didn't mean to induce that uh, association. Uh. Yeah. The question is, am I Ethel or Julius Rosenberg? <laughs> well, you know, do you have to be one or the other? I mean, it'd be very trendy to be both. Yeah, I guess so. So let's hear some questions. Question. Curious why you didn't include the condemnation suspicion of Leary's complicity, uh, FBI, CIA involvement 
by Angela Davis and the Panthers. They always saw him as suspect. Um, that is kind of hinted at in the movie. But a movie can't be about everything. Uh, the f central focus of this movie was Joanna. It was not Leary. Uh, and was not Leary's possible complicitous with the federal government, the CIA, the FBI, whatever. Um, Leary has a very bad reputation. Um, Fred will not be the first person I've heard from who said that Leary was an asshole, uh, a bad guy. Um, uh, certainly the way he treated women, uh, he used them, he discarded them uh, one after the other. And Joanna clearly was broken hearted by the fact that her relationship with Leary just came to an abrupt end for reasons, and perhaps maybe most of us who've been involved in love affairs that have ended, where we wondered exactly what transpired, what happened, what did I do, what did they do? Um, it left her bereft, um, clearly very, very, very sad. And Leary had a way, I suppose, of filling the vacuum of life, whether it was with drugs or with his escapades running from the authorities, you know, or his, his crazy new age mysticism. Um, I left this project with a feeling then he probably was not the most appetizing character. Um, my son, who knows much, much more about psychedelics uh, than I do, um, believes that somehow he still was a force for good in the sense that he popularized, popularized uh, LSD as possibly mind-expanding thing. Uh, you know, you can look at this so many different ways. For some people, Leary destroyed the possibility uh, that there would ever be a beneficial use of psychedelic drugs. He helped criminalize them. Uh, and to remove them from any kind of consideration in the world of medicine. And that's slowly changing today. But yeah, there was the good and the bad. Again, my movie is not primarily about Timothy Leary. It's the story of Joanna's love affair and what preceded it. Um, hope that is an answer, not entirely evasive, slightly evasive, but not entirely evasive answer on my part. Uh, here's another question, Errol, for you. The interview was shot in a variety of different angles. How many cameras were used to shoot the interview? 
And did the cameras ever change position as the interview was shot? How did you ter- determine what angles to use? I'm, I'm sure that they're referring to the way Joanna is shot. Um, yeah, there was four cameras. One of them was an Interatron camera using my, my device that I invented, the Interatron. I stupidly never got it patented. And uh, I can't quite say that it's ubiquitous today, but there's certainly many other filmmakers who have used it in one form or another. I, um, I fell victim, like so many people, to the New York Times. They published an article about me. Um, I suppose similar to the article that's going to come out about Fred shortly, which I'm looking forward to reading. Um, and they identified uh, my device as the Interatron. And I was, I was flattered. I was enormously pleased. No one told me until about a year and a half later when I tried to patent my device that I couldn't do it because it had appeared in the paper of record. You have a year after the first public announcement of your device to patent it or else you're out of luck. So there you go. My greatest achievement. I'll never, ever, ever profit from it the way I should. Well, another question was, jo- was Joanna able to see a rough cut of the film? And what was her reaction, if so? Um, I showed her the nearly completed version of the film. And I was told that she watched it six, seven, eight times the week that she died. She watched it over and over and over again, and she loved the film and was deeply grateful that I had made it. She felt that in some way it had captured her. And did I like hearing that? Yes, absolutely. Maybe it's my, my secret role, death doula. I um, giving comfort to people as they're dying. I'm really glad she saw it. I'm really, really delighted she liked it. Uh, well, I that's the. I think I've relayed all the questions that I have on the uh, uh, on the chat sheet, uh, so we can uh, thank you, Earl. I, as always, I love talking to you. Well, likewise. Uh, and uh, I hope people have a chance to see the film and enjoy it as much as I did. Well, I would, I would, if I were giving assignments, homework assignments. I would tell everybody out there to sit down and watch all of your films immediately. (laughs) Great. That's very nice. Good. Thanks, Errol. Good night. I hope we get a chance to do this again. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we will. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.